everyone. Welcome to 001. This is the very first of Hardcore Marketing, the podcast show. My name is Casey Cheshire, and I'm so stoked that you're here to join me on this very first one. Um, and just a couple quick housekeeping tips. Today, we are sponsored by Cheshire Impact. Ba-bam. And uh, Cheshire Impact really just wants you to help maximize your use of marketing automation and CRM. CheshireImpact.com. And my guest today is amazing. Started out, I think it's all downhill from here after this guest, but uh, uh, Stephanie Hawkins, she is the content marketing manager at Archive Social. Is that right? That's yes. Right. And now the background on that, she, I've worked with Stephanie for a long time. She is the content guru. She is the writing guru. When I think about figuring out your buyer personas or understanding your audience, she is it. And uh, for those in the Cheshire um, client client family, um, our theme really going off of our maximizing marketing automation on that CSI checklist, that success index, number one is before you start building things, you got to know your audience. And so I thought, what better than to have a podcast with someone like you? So welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. And we haven't, I mean, we chatted last night to catch up a little bit, but it's been a while, right? Yeah, it definitely has. So what are you up to these days? Nothing too crazy. Um, I started here at Archive Social in October, so that's been a big change for me. But uh, yeah. yeah and, so you, and so you left the agency world and, and maybe even just, you know, how did we meet a long time ago? Just to give people listening just a, an understanding of your background, because you, start, you started out running your own shop and doing content for people. Is that right? I did. So I had my own company. It was called Up All Night Creative. Um, I had just started out and I was kind of trolling the internet for customers. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So, scrappy. That's what I remember things. back in the days, the scrappy days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All kinds of scrappy tactics to get clients. Um, and I remember I was looking on LinkedIn and I saw an ad that you had posted for like a digital marketing consultant. Nice. Well, shout out to LinkedIn. And Yep. Yep. And I answered it and I was like, Hey, you know, I don't live anywhere near you. And, uh, but this sounds really interesting and give me a call and see if we might be able to work together. And totally. remember the first conversation we had, um, I was at home visiting my parents in Michigan for like Thanksgiving or Christmas or something. Huh. And you called me and I was like, trolling i was like pacing in their garage <laughs> right <laughs> trying to find a quiet spot for an interview yeah. i think we've all been there exactly yeah <laughs> killer so yeah. yeah we started working together on some content projects i remember you wrote some case studies for us and it was just a blast mm -hmm. but i also remember conversations like these were dangerous because we'd start out talking about content marketing or whatever the case may be and then like an hour and a half later we talked about like nine different projects and then spun off on on personality filters and all sorts of things so i thought oh yeah Perfect. You know, <laughs> we have, we have plenty of uh, storage on this computer, so, you know, we can just keep talking. It'll be fine. <laughs> awesome. So kind of wrapping around, you know, before I, we get into too many details, you know, understanding your audience and it's so important. And before we kind of like the nitty gritty of it, you know, maybe you could help me explain, you know, why is it so important that you know your audience before you just start writing or start building or emailing or any of that? Yeah, you know, I got really into this when I first started out in content marketing, and I got really into the work of people like Adele Ravella, um, who is the founder of the Buyer Persona Institute, and kind of what she preaches is that 
marketing most most of all is like the advocate for the customer or the mm. voice of the customer. And sure. it's marketing's job to really um, understand the customer, and that means not making assumptions. So, you know, what I've noticed throughout my career a lot of times is that we're just making a ton of assumptions. Um, and when you actually talk to customers on a regular basis, it's surprising what you find out about their motivations. And, and knowing their motivations is really how you get from point A to point B, um, really speaking their language. It's kind of funny. Just something as simple as like talking to someone, you know, and sometimes we're behind that, that iron curtain of marketing. We don't tend to, you know, sometimes you go to trade shows, but we're not usually on sales calls. And so it can be a tendency to just keep marketing out of the mix. And then the only kind of feedback we have is like click stats, you know, and it seems like there's so much more to it than just the click. There's like people on the other end, you know? Right, exactly. And it, it often, I think the one of the funnest parts of my job has been, you know, when I'll deliver like the results of a of a buyer persona project, and people will just be like shocked at what they heard. Like, oh, I didn't realize, you know, uh, those five people were involved in the buying process. I didn't realize that customer had to go talk to these four other people, and that their objections were X, Y, Z. Right. Um, I just assumed it was X. You know. Right. Did anyone get like totally taken aback so from much. that? Has anyone like been completely surprised where they thought they were like selling to marketing, but they're really selling to like sales or IT or something. They had no idea or they kind of close. um, I think they're somewhat close. I think like, you know, uh, somebody you hooked me up with who I don't know if we're like naming names here, but um, probably not just in case Dave, Dave. unless they're amazing. Okay. Dave is amazing. Dave is amazing. Um, (laughs) First names. That's good. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, with Dave. Save us money on editing later. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I did a bunch of buyer personas for him, and he just loved it. Like I think he, yeah. I think he liked the process of the investigation yes, even more than sure. like the end result. He didn't even care about the case study. He was just like, you know, this is awesome. Finding out kind of all this inside information about how right. customers are buying for us. So it's kind of funny because there's so many apps out there you can buy to try to get to know people. You know, I, I'd be, it'd be kind of a funny joke if someone sent someone like a 23andMe DNA test to like find out about them. You're like, dude, you could just pick up the phone and call, you know, like you don't even need yeah. to do all this crazy, complicated stuff, predictive, whatever. Just make, make a phone, make a couple phone calls. So it's not just talking to one person because you might end up yeah. calling that crazy person. That's not you know, like an outlier. It's not really your customer. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I have another like good example of one I just recently did at my previous job. I was like interviewing these parents um, for this company that sold catheters to you know people who had been disabled or been paralyzed okay. or whatnot, and also to children who had spina bifida. Uh, so yeah. We're marketing to these to these kids, and you know we we just like had made the assumption that the kids you know needed content around like. Um, how to talk to their teachers about oh, yeah. and things like that. And I talked to the moms and the moms were like, no, they're like, these kids want to be independent. That is their main thing. Mm-hmm. Everything you do needs to be about like more independence, more independence. They just want to be regular kids, you know? Um, so we totally pivoted and changed gears. So, is, so, what, so instead of Mark, so did, did you still market to the kids or the moms as well? And, it was more of a message to the moms, like how yeah. your, here's how your kids can be more independent. Because these kids were like surfing and you know doing all this crazy stuff. They were oh like yeah, how we had envisioned okay. being kind of like we... stuck in a wheelchair or something. Yeah, yeah, huh. yeah. So we had totally like the wrong message for them. 
So you change it up. And uh, that, that's cool. I, it, you know, it's like when you can do products like that, it really, you know, sometimes you can get stuck doing, um, you know, like super techie software and it's hard to necessarily think of who you're helping. But every now and then you get a product like that. It's a little easier if you're in, you're in an agency because at least you, you can, you know, oh, this one's amazing. You know, you can pick and choose. But sometimes, I mean, I've been in like, like IT integration, you know, <laughs> there's a couple steps yeah. removed to how you're actually helping people, but maybe you're like integrating hospital software, but you gotta, you gotta get out there and have those conversations. Yeah, for sure. For so, sure. so how do you approach that then? How, you know, before you even have the interview or, or does it start with the interview? Do you start having those conversations? Do you do you bucket people first? Because I think the worst thing you could do is, and especially the whole point of, you know, the, the first thing on this uh, maturity model we have for marketing automation is, you know, don't just blast everybody. Don't just, the same message doesn't work for everyone. Um, and, uh, so do you, do you bucket them first or do you some research first? So I think it's a little bit of both. You do some research first and then you bucket them. Um, the way we used to do it in my previous role was we would talk to people who were the ideal customer, mm. people who, um, were in the process of buying and then people who were like closed loss sales. Right. And that was at an agency, okay. right? So you went from running your own thing to uh, being at a, like a, like an inbound agency crushing out content left and right. So, so you got kind of into the whole pattern of, of how you do things. So, okay. So you having those conversations, just a, a, the ideal customer. Now who, who, who calls ideal? Like who decides that? Is that just company or? Yeah. So in this case, because I was with the agency and I was working, you know, with the client, um, we would talk to like the marketing director or the CEO or somebody who was in the position to say, yes, we want more of these types. Of more of these people. Okay. Just more of this. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. And those conversations you find out, they, they bought you for some other, like they like love the sales rep or something <laughs> had nothing to do with <laughs> your really cool marketing email that went out or something like that. Right. Right. Huh. Exactly. <laughs> How many buckets should, should people have when they, you know, bucket I and mean, whatever you want to call them too. I, I just like to call them, I don't know why I'm like in a bucket mode, like bucket brigade, yeah, no, brigade or something. A good word. Yeah. Um, I think as, as few as you need. Mm. So don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. And also make the buckets. We're just going to stick with this bucket metaphor. I'm fine with that. Cool. Uh, Let's roll. Make the buckets <laughs> meaningful. Like don't just separate them just because, um, because you make you more work, right? Be. There's more work every bucket yeah. you make. Every well, yeah, I think a, a common yeah. misconception with buyer personas is that you need to make the buckets uh, related to like job title, mm. which is not true. Um, so at Kuno, we used to. Um, it's probably fine. It's a shout out. Hey, Kuno. All right. Hey, Kuno. <laughs> uh, we used to do buyer personas by job title. So we had like healthcare, we had, you know, and then we kind of pivoted to doing it by like buying trigger. Mm. So instead of doing it around job title, we do it around like, what were you looking for in your marketing? Right. Are you looking to go in a new direction with your marketing? Are you looking for just like a project based approach? Are you looking for an outsourced marketing team? And that's how we approached it. And I think, you know, I don't have any like hard evidence that that was the perfect way to go, but right. I think it was helpful. Right. Yeah, it's cool. You got like a live background. That's cool. Like, yeah. Hey, people, people here. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny you mentioned the buying triggers because um, I was working with a group out in California, cool software company, 
really helps you avoid um, audits when Adobe or Microsoft swoop in and they say, hey, uh, you've got 900 illegal copies of Adobe Creative Suite. Uh, you owe us $8 million or we'll take you to court for 30. Like people are just stuck. And so this company would you'd work with them hopefully beforehand or even when that happens and this system would be able to identify, you know, which you actually only have 36 copies of Adobe and, and two of them are not licensed, you know, or something like that. And so it was a really cool company and they're trying to figure out who their buyer was. And that same evolution happened. Sort of the conversation started with, Oh, it, uh, you know, president or director or this, or, you know, like title based. And it's almost like that's where people sort of start to begin with, because it's one of those things that um, you can just, you just maybe know that date already. Um, of course, Title's a problem because if you try to fill out a form with title, you get all sorts of goofy stuff and programming that into your marketing automation is like crazy. So we always recommend roles, but either way, role or title, um, it's a starting place. But as we started that conversation deeper, we realized, okay, so it's not, not really that your seniority in, in the company, it's more of that role you play in the company. And, and it, for them, it turned out being there's, there's IT asset managers were key and IT service managers were key. And you don't even need to know what that means other than if you talk to one in a certain way, or if you talk to them both in the same way you talk to one of them and one of them gets mad at you, now it's time to split it out. And so they were able to split it out and they started out by having 18 and we kind of reduced that down to six. Wow, 18 is a lot. Yeah, that'd be a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but oh, actually, yeah, I think it's your, a good number, but that's really yeah. interesting. And to your point, you were saying like the next thing from that was, you know, what was making them buy. And what was fascinating is we found that out by talking to one of their inside sales, like cold callers. And it's funny how sometimes the people, the lowest on the totem pole, might have more information than asking the sales manager or sales director. Um, because they're in it. Totally. They're talking to people left and right. People who talk to them every day. Yeah. And so this one guy and people are like, why is he even here? But I'm like, no, that's cool. Sales and marketing. We're all, we're all one big happy family sometimes or one big crazy <laughs> arguing family. But, uh, we asked him, he said, well, you know what? If I email or leave a voicemail about a specific thing, like if they put in the comments that they're getting audited or, um, they're getting acquired and they need to know how much software they have, then if they leave that in the notes and he leaves that in a voicemail or in an email, they call him back right away. And I was like, Oh, and, and everyone else is like, you know, trudging along the grind. But for that particular one, they would call him back right away. So I agree. I think in the hierarchy of, of buckets, if you will, um, that need, you know, need base and not everyone has a need per se. Maybe they don't even know that, you know, they're way high in awareness. They don't even know they have a need, but if they do, man, fast forward to the front of the line, you know, like, like you've got a gold membership for Royal Caribbean or something just like get on the mm -hmm. boat, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Sweet. So tell me, what was it like to go from your own thing to an agency and now your client side? I, yeah, how's that evolution been for you? And you've you had a chance to view a lot of different things, and I know you mentioned that even some of your views have changed as you, you know, migrated through. I don't want to say you upgraded because it's just different experiences along the way, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, my views have changed because when I started out doing content marketing, it was like 2011. Um, it was kind of a new thing, and I, I just like 100% believed in the power of it. Does that make like, you feel old, though, by the way? Like, 2011, it was new. Like content marketing was new. I mean, I guess at some point the internet was new too. But yeah, yeah. 
I mean, so. it was like Anne Hanley was, was new and, you know, like all the content marketing people who are like old hat now or just new. Oh, you're, you're, drop, you're dropping bombs here. You call people old hat already. That's awesome. I mean, shots fired. Know. This is hardcore marketing. So, yeah. you know, shots fired. I if we need to censor you, we will. <laughs> like well known, super well known now. I don't know how well known she was in 2011. Okay, cool. Super well known, and I was just new. Uh, anyway, you know, I like just completely and utterly believed the gospel of HubSpot and inbound and all those. Sure. Things. I thought, you know, all you have to do is put out these great blog posts, and everybody's going to come your way, and they're going to fill out a form, and they're going to download an ebook, and they're going to realize how great you are, and then they're going to buy your thing. And I right. completely believed that. Um, and I think maybe it did work really, really well back then. And over time, everybody's just gotten a bit more skeptical of marketing in general. Um, There's a little bit of Kool-Aid associated with some of those tools, too. I know sometimes tech vendors can uh, can put out, you know, they, they put out strategy with the power that a, a large tech brand can, you know. So it's like they're preaching a message and you're on that platform. It's like... Let's drink it. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also just, I think over time, people have gotten less and less actual time to read. Like yeah, education was so valuable. Oh, like free education. So valuable. And now it's like, is it because now what's really valuable is our time. Hmm. And so I think we, we just really need to rethink this whole it's interesting. Um, giving away free eBooks in exchange for leads kind of methodology, because I wonder, you know, and I think a lot of people are starting to wonder this, um, is that what people even want? Right. And maybe you don't know unless you go ask them. Yeah. But that's interesting. You mentioned the time is so critical. And, um, and, you know, sometimes I feel like as a marketer, I maybe give, I download things more often than maybe I should, um, because I'm curious. Uh, but there was a, a white paper that was mentioned on, on Twitter the other day. And I thought, Oh, this sounds cool. It was all about, uh, was it content marketing or maybe it was like marketing automation and AI, right? Which I have mm. could do a whole podcast on. It's not AI. It's not a computer that's like thinking and trying to kill you. So it's more of like augmented intelligence than artificial. Um, but, uh, but so it was like, okay, I'll check this. Uh, that's cool. I, w- I want to learn. It was like the, it was the most pretty white paper I've seen in a long time. And it was also the <laughs> lamest that had no takeaways. It was like so fluff. And I was, I was actually mad and in, indignant about it. And like, Casey, no, and I actually tweeted. And of course I said, I get all like excited about tweeting like mean things. But my, if you look at my tweet, it's like, uh, you should do more work on your white paper. It's not even, it's not even mean. I mean Twitter can get <laughs> mean. Like a good burn. Right. <laughs> it's not even a good. It's like for me, I'm like, Oh, I said it should work on it harder. But um, yeah, I tweeted this company. I was like, that thing needs more time, man. Put it back in the oven. That was crazy. And then, you know, direct sales guy pinged me like two days later. and was like, Hey, I want to talk to you about something. I'm like, Oh, I remember you guys. I hated your white. I told him on the email. I was like, I didn't like your white paper. <laughs> I'm going to unsubscribe. And uh, he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Here's some case studies. But I was like, I'm not going to read those case studies because I didn't like your first one. And, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be seven pages. Maybe it's one page. But I actually learned from it, you know? Yeah. No, I totally agree. I mean, I think one thing I've learned from working with writers, a lot of writers over time, Hmm. is that writers learn a lot of bad habits in, okay, maybe they're not bad habits if you're going to be a professor, but they're bad habits if you're going to become a marketer. Yeah. (laughs) Because they think everything needs to be a five paragraph essay and it just doesn't. Um, 
you know, one That's of really the interesting, yeah. best tools you can use as a writer is white space. And you know, that's a really good point. Like you talk the white space, separating out a paragraph, making it look not so hard to read, um, yes. not abusing like a 20 sentence paragraph that no one wants to dive into is what it is. Like that's the word abuse, it's really abusing it's, it's yeah. taking advantage of somebody's attention. And you know, you, you really need to not take that for granted. Like it's a privilege right. to have their attention. Um, you have one shot. <laughs> right. I you think know, about like, like that one novels, shot. you know, like novels where you're like, you know, and I kind of do fiction every now and then just to keep me like grounded. So I'm not just doing business book all the time, you know? Um, right. And I found this really cool one um, called the three body problem. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's, mm. it's the best sci-fi from China and it's just been translated into the U S and it's actually really cool. It's, it's, I mean, it's sci-fi, but it's realistic. It's like it could happen. It's like ten years from now, um, and and to your point, you got you got to get me on that first paragraph, and 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 he did, even in a different language, translated to U.S. Um, the only tra- challenge is you know getting to know some of the names. You have to hear them like eight eight or nine times before you're like, wait, who 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 was that? Oh, okay. And then every now and then there's like an American name, you're like Frank. You're like, oh, I know who this is. But um, but yeah, okay. you got to catch people at the beginning, and you know. And some people, I mean, I won't even look at like a, you know, paragraph this big. What? That seems like you're not. Right. Yeah. Especially something a little. It's going to be about like a business topic. Totally. Yeah. Like nice little like quirky little thing. Like, why does this matter? You know? Mm-hmm. We should probably do that on a podcast too. I don't know if we did that. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. But if not, here it is, guys. You, you got to do this yeah, or, right. or else. <laughs> um, actually, I have a good story um, on why this is so important. Uh, there was a group I was working with out of New York, and this is the part where you don't name any names, or otherwise you do have to edit the heck out of this thing. Um, it was a group, and it was an awesome team. And, you know, the bad habits you pick up, and actually I do want to circle back around to that, uh, but they, they were sharing that they had an attorney in New York city, write a white paper for them. And, you know, speaking of working with authors and whatnot, you know, you're always trying to get like the best price author, but good writing. It's like always that we should talk about that too. Like you can't farm these things out to foreign countries. It, it's really challenging, but they had an attorney write this thing and they were bragging. He was a thousand dollars an hour. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm like, wow, first of all, I'm in the wrong job. Right. And then second of all, um, what is this guy's word per minute? You know, how fast can this guy type? Because, and they, they told, I don't think it was 27 pages, but they, they said it was like over 20 pages long. So I was like, how much did they spend on this white paper? Then I asked them like, so the goal of this white paper, like what questions did this answer for your buyer? You know, what, what did this address? Um, who was it for? And it just the head, just all kind of this con- big conference room. They all just went down. Um, cause they realized all this talk we had, we had just discussed about, you know, understanding your buyer and wanting to answer their questions and their problems first, they, they had nothing to it. And eventually they were able to chop the thing up and get like a page here, page there. But they realized, man, they just like, don't tell anyone else, but we just blew like 30 grand on a white paper that w- was kind of like a brag piece, you know, and, and, and they're wondering why nobody wanted it, you know? Wow, I'm definitely in the wrong job then too. Like, <laughs> clearly. Yeah, write some content in New York City. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, it was really, really technical and and one of those marketplaces. But yeah, yeah. No, I mean that's a great story and that's like a great example of of how you need to really think about content and safety. So, what kind of habits? 
dive in. Yeah. What kind of habits are people picking up? So you mentioned the white space. I love that white space abuse. That's huge. And, uh, like, and I, I may have even individually pick some up too. Cause you know, you get, you get a negative to your grade if you're not putting footnotes and all that craziness. So like, what else, right. what else are you seeing? I mean, you've dealt with all these writers, are writers like cats or dogs or goldfish or. <laughs> um, I, 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 I don't know. Can't call them cats because cats are so independent. <laughs> it's like cliche too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're kind of like cats, though, aren't they? They're very independent. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they're stuck in their habits, whatever yeah. animal that is. So I think you know one of the bad habits that that I find a lot too is just like overly bloated mm. writing. Like thinking everything has to be four sentences to a paragraph and it has to be written with an intro and a summary and a conclusion. And it's mm. like people don't read like that. And it doesn't have to be like that. Right. Um, if, if you have the meat of your story, you can lead with it. You can lead with, you know, write what you want to say. Like, yeah. Just get there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like tech terms too, right? Or too many acronyms and industry speak like that's not how we speak as people and i think that's what you're, you're getting at too is it, we're writing like you know we're writing like someone who's in a different country or something but we're, we speak in a totally different way yeah there's a whole list of words i think should just be banned yeah right have you have you heard of um the different the different dialects in arabic there's like obviously there's different different ones just like in the u.s there's uh um the, the the main one is called MSA Modern Standard Arabic and it's kind of very similar to to Egyptian, um, but if you speak in Modern Standard Arabic, you sound like the encyclopedia, and and I don't even know what like a, a United States or U.S. English version of that would be, maybe British, but uh, but you just you sound and people hear you and they go, wow, you sound different. So you know Lebanon has theirs, Iraq has theirs. Yeah, they all have their own different version, own words, own slang. But if you speak in modern standard Arabic, they're like, you know, <laughs> oh, Taurus. So would you pick up Pimsler? Awesome. Good for you. Um, so I wonder if there's a little bit of that to even the writing side. Yeah, definitely. I think there's like a version, a version of that happening. Totes. Totes. So let's get back to this. Uh, you were... You were drinking the Kool-Aid, you're running your own thing, you got into an agency, probably you're probably doing Kool-Aid shots at that point, uh, jello shots of the Kool-Aid, of the, the inbound thing. Um, yeah, and then what happened? Sure. Like how, how, what are you at now? Um, in terms of like my, my bought-inness to the sort of whole philosophy of, of content marketing? Yeah. Yeah. I think where I'm at now is that it still works, but you have to do it really, really well. Um, and you really have to respect the person you're talking to at the other end. Like mm. you only have so many emails before they're going to unsubscribe. You only right. have so many chances, you know, to talk to them and you got to really make every single one count. Right. You know, that's interesting. The, the whole, you got to respect your, your buyer. And it's, it, sometimes we get lost. Like some people don't have funnels, right? Marketing funnels. And then some dumb, dumb tweeted 
people like, wow, Casey dumped him. This is supposed to be hardcore marketing. Some guy, some jerk. And still, it's like, that's, that's all you get. This guy, he tweeted in his marketing piece, like the funnel is dead. Um, something, something, something Buy my software. And I was like, dude, the funnel could be flipped. It could be on its side. It could be a different shape. It could be like a, a hookah like a circles of hookah, but it's not dead. I mean, you got to track how people move. Maybe it's in different directions, but we're just tracking bro. And, but he, it was like, ah, you just sort of putting that stuff out there. And it's like, oh, you got to respect your audience, but that's so key, right? Respect them. Don't just blast them through a series of emails, but, but build something into that. Yeah. And I think it's about how you talk about them too. So people like, I don't feel like I'm a consumer. I don't know if you do, but Wait, what's that? I, I resent being called a consumer. Like I'm mm. being, you know, and I, we can't call people leads. They're not a lead. They're like a person. <laughs> right. So when you really talk about the people who you're writing to and you start thinking of them as a lead um, or a prospect or that's not what they are. They're like a whole entire person. Yeah. Open your email and like they have hopes and dreams and a grandmother and yeah, you know, <laughs> they're going to eat lunch and all these things. And like, you're just talking to them. Yeah. It all goes back to like how you think about this, this audience you're talking to and to not seeing them as this two dimensional figure who solely exists just to read your email and buy your product. Yeah. I mean, they probably went out for Thai and then they came back and, you know, you're getting some coffee and now they're looking at your, your dumb email <laughs> that you didn't care about. But you know what? It's so fascinating. I think there's a lot to this and um, maybe it gets into like the metaphysical mushy gushy, but how we talk about them, even in the office, right? How you talk about your customer. And I know some of the best buyer personas and buckets, if you will, like say, give it, give that one a name so that you can talk about them. And, and, and I obviously didn't listen to anything else in that paragraph, but I like the idea of giving them a name because it, it, it puts a person to them. So it's not like persona eight, four, nine. It's like, this is Judy. Judy's a marketing manager at a small, mid-sized software company. And uh, this is what her concerns are, you know? And I'm like, I got it, Judy. And then in, in conversation, if it's really cranking, how you really know you're doing it is if someone's like, yeah, I just talked to a Judy today, you know, how's, how's she doing? Oh, great. You know, it's like that kind of thing. Or, oh, I had a Frank on the phone or in Judy and those are weird names, but, um, or maybe not, <laughs> but either way, it's like, yeah, hey, no, you know, I, it, but, but talking nice about them too. Not like, oh, I, you know, sometimes we like to joke about the idiots that, that incorrectly fill out the form and they're not really our buyers anyways, but the people that, that are, you know, like they're real people. So even like watching with the words we use and, and how we, how we talk about them. It's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, just like staying in regular conversation, I think with the people who do talk to them every day, because marketing doesn't always talk directly to the customer and it's right. not always realistic. Like there's always gatekeepers and people who don't want you to talk to the customers. And one of the great things about where I work now, I mean, there's a lot of smart practices in place here, but one of the ones that I especially love is that on a regular basis, like I'm talking a daily basis, um, we will hear from the sales team individually wow. in terms of like buyer motivations. Interesting. So we'll find out why they bought. Uh, um, and that helps us stay like have our finger on the pulse of, you know, if our messaging is spot on or not, or if it needs to pivot. That's cool. How, how did that happen? Yeah, it is really Cause cool. sometimes sales is like the daily complaint 
about marketing, but you, you got this sort of feedback loop where they're daily telling you, Hey, this is the hot button here. Go get me more of these. That's, that sounds like collaboration. That's pretty, pretty sweet. It is. It's really, I'm really impressed. Like it's, it's just built into the structure of our day. And, um, is it like a standing meeting or is it more of like a, mm-hmm. Oh really? Okay. So like that we regularly have yeah. that info. That's cool. That's really cool. It is. It's really cool. It's, it's very transparent. Like that's one of kind of the core values of the company is just like promoting information. So everyone's yeah. on the same page. And yeah. Does sales bring beer to that or <laughs> how does that work? Marketing brings like Zinfandel. Oh or yeah. How does that work? There, there's beer involved on Fridays. <laughs> okay. Only on Fridays and only past four. <laughs> Got it. The rest of the time we all work really hard. Huh. Drink a lot of tea. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, you know, this kind of ties into, did you, I don't know if you told me about this. Sometimes I do this thing where, um, people will tell me about a really good book or an idea and I, I won't listen or I'll file it away. And then somebody else tells me, and then I come back to that first person and go, I heard about the best book principle strategy ever. And they're like, Casey, I told you about that, but it was this book called noble purpose. Have you heard about that? No. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. Um, no, it's this book and this, this, this gal, um, this researcher went and, uh, followed pharmaceutical sales reps and, you know, big companies wanted to know like what makes a, I mean, everyone wants to know that what makes a great rep and she followed them all. And she was able to, after spending a lot of time with them, predict which ones were the best reps. And it all came down to those reps had a noble purpose when they were selling. They actually wanted to help people. And that came across in the process. It came across to the doctors. It came across to everyone. And also, it drove them to really get the next appointment and and get that sale in because it was more than just that dollar to them. And so, it's a whole, whole idea of a noble purpose. It's a fascinating book. Um, but yeah, I think that I don't even look it up. But I think that uh, you know, in marketing, we could even like borrow from that. You know, you know. The noble purpose of this drip campaign is not to trick someone into buying your thing, but it's actually to help someone. And and maybe it's just helping someone that, you know, needs to buy something or help save their job, you know, that kind of thing. Right. No, totally. I always try to look at it that way. Like, I think there's something Joe Chernov said on Twitter a while back that it always sticks with me. He Mm. said, content marketing should always be either useful or entertaining or both. Um, I like that. And if it's not, you shouldn't put it out there. Useful or entertaining. How are we doing here today? You think? (laughs) I hope we're doing two check marks. I hope so. (laughs) I am entertained. I I am too. So (laughs) screw everybody else. I'll just keep talking. Um, (laughs) Useful, entertaining. So that was Joe, huh? Yeah. You know, it's funny. He's, he's, um, he's everywhere sometimes. And so I was at an event in Boston and I walked by, he was just sitting on a couch, chilling, holding court. I'm like, Hey, <laughs> you know, like, that's cool. Like, here you are like ethereally yeah, randomly yeah. here on this couch. Yeah. He's like the guy for sure. Totally. Um, and I, I actually, yeah. I looked up that book. It's Lisa Earl McLeod. It's called selling with noble purpose. So that's a book. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll link to it on the, on the notes here, but yeah, it, it's just the idea of let's, let's think about the person, you know, and I, I had another mentor back in the day say his thing was like, what's in it for me? You know, he had an acronym for that. What's in it for W I I F M like a radio station, like W I I F M. And it was just thinking about, but you could, you could misdrew that. You'd be like, what's in it for me as the marketer. But like, no, no, no. It's all about the person who's reading. Right. Right. 
or listening or no, watching. I really like that. I like that in terms of of uh, just thinking about content in general always yeah. as kind of a baseline. Do you think, do you think now that, and that's cool that now you're, you know, back client side and able to focus on like one market and audience and all that, uh, it's probably like refreshing to sort of mix it up every now and then. Um, so is that sort of helped, yeah. you know, your, your side on, I mean, I guess if, if your job is content, you know, then that's what you're focused on. But then you get to see the larger whole of the company itself, probably going after leads in all different sources, you know, not just inbound. I think sometimes that's the trick is that inbound is a cool series of sources from SEO and blog and people referring all that good stuff, but it's, it's soft and it's, and you got to balance it out with all different kinds of test things out. Maybe your audience is all at this event and maybe you should be an event marketing company, you know, as opposed to something else. But it, I think it's, I think content feels everything. So you do the content, you know, in, to your point, useful and entertaining, and then you go test it on different sources, not necessarily just completely waiting for people to show up. Yeah. I mean, that's a, definitely an interesting point. And like the change from agency to in-house, you know, with regards to only seeing a small piece of the puzzle being at an agency and then seeing everything in-house. Like, I think there's a lot of times a mistakes agencies will make is just thinking they get it. <laughs> like sure. thinking they get it about the whole company's priorities. So like, I used to go in and pitch things and be like, you guys need to do this now. Like, this should be your <laughs> I really like I bet. I bet you like burn that conference room down too when you're doing it. <laughs> And like the truth was, they were just like, well, yeah, 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 like, you know, maybe, but we have all these other things going on. And I was like, no, no. But, you know, now that I'm here, I, I understand more how, how certain things fit into the bigger picture. And even though something seems like it should be a huge priority, you know, this partnership over here actually is a priority for, for political reasons or whatever. Right. Um, and, and content fits into to all of those avenues in different ways. Yeah, that's the good, that's the point, right? Too, is that content's ammo, especially for, you know, marketing automation, which, you know, at Chesh, we're just focused on that because it's like the backbone for marketing because it helps you follow a process, but you need content, you know, um, in different shapes and sizes. Are you, are you getting into that or, or are you still doing a lot of writing or are you getting into some other kinds of content, different mediums, if you will? Um, so I do a lot of webinars right now, like webinar sort of management in yep. terms of finding the guests, shaping their story, working with them on their decks. Um, you know, I think we're one of the kind of few types of companies where webinars are still working really, really well. Like our audience sure. loves them. Sure. So I think that's the key part, right? It, it's almost like that, that approach is. And, you know, even the idea of, you know, hardcore marketing, you know, it, it's, hey, test it all, but whatever, or, or ask your buyers what they want. And if they want, you know, if they want paper mail, I'll send you paper mail. Like, what, what do you want? You know, I, you know, the traditions or the latest trend on LinkedIn be damned. Like, what do my buyers want? They want this? Cool. I'll do a thousand webinars, you know, podcast, this, that. Now, for podcasts, I just wanted to podcast, but hopefully they do too. But yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, who, who cares about the, um, the latest greatest or what you should be doing? It's what, it's what, how they want to consume it. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's moving a little bit away from eBooks hmm. more towards like digestible content. Um, like one of the projects I'm working on right now is like this online magazine that's featuring our sort of customers who are leaders in their industry. Cool. 
yeah. And not yeah, yeah, that that gigantic nine page ebook, you know, it's like who even you spend so much time on that. I always liked one, you know, one or two pagers. It fit on like a page front and back. But it it forces you to boil things down, you know? Like there's a quote maybe that was um it'll be helpful to one day have someone just in the back going, Yeah, Casey, here's the quote. Like, uh I think it might be um uh I don't know. Uh the guy that wrote Huckleberry Finn, who was that? Mark Twain. Yeah, Mark Twain. I don't know. It's it's a long day. I just came from workout, but uh, <laughs> you know, I think it was him who said like it, it's harder to write a page than it is to write ten. You know, like you can easily just exactly blah 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 ten. But now, okay, condense your ten into one and, and then send it to me. Like yeah. that's hard. Now you got to really reduce back to. Yeah, like that's exactly what I was talking about earlier with the kind of five paragraph essay problem. Um, it's much, much harder to trim down your writing, and that's the real skill um, that's needed. Yeah, totally. So cool. Mark Twain. <laughs> it's like when you can't think of something, it's like, God, ah, it's right there. Um, so, <laughs> you know, one of the things that we always chatted about too and, um, was the idea that. You're getting to know a, a person. And I think it's so cool that this ties together because of course you would be good at getting to know buyers because it's it's also about getting to know people themselves and personality tests. And and it, it just it reminded me actually of, of of one experience where I I was at a company that didn't have that feedback loop you're talking about. And so one of the things I did was I in sales was kind of like, who's this new marketing guy? I'm like, eh, hi, <laughs> take you up for tea or beers or whatever. And they're like, eh, okay, sure. But um, I, I got myself into the room with them when they were calling some of the initial leads, if you will, uh, of the old system before I had touched it. And one of the first questions someone asked on the phone was, who are you and what do you do again? And I was like, wow, that is not a qualified lead at all. That is not, that person doesn't know what's going on. And, and really the, the short of it, they filled out like a 13 page form and they got called by uh, for a newsletter and they got called by a sales rep the next day. It was horrible. We fixed it. We, we broke that down, but it was so helpful to be on that sales call and hear some of the questions that people are asking. I was like, you know what? Like we can fix that for you before they get on the call with you. We can make sure, make sure, damn sure that, they know who you are and what you do and the value prop of what we're talking about. So it's like a qualified call and we did. And so they got some content they actually wanted to see. And it wasn't all just white paper. It was like case study, but more of like customer story. Another thing was like an online interactive demo. Then they talked to sales and it's like, okay, cool. I've seen it work, you know, online. And then I've, read a story from a customer, what does this kind of stuff cost? And it immediately moved that sales cycle. And like, I don't know, is that's a month or one or two calls that just chopped off of it. But they were able to skip some of that early junk because they were able to get right to it because they already had some information, you know, in their hands. Right. Yeah, that's great. So, but hey, personality. So getting to know buyers but also getting to know ourselves we were just talking about this catching up earlier um and i'd mentioned to you that i just done like a personality test it, and it, it was it was tricky because they rebranded but it was technically myers briggs i think but it, it was uh, at at uh, 16personalities.com have you done a myers briggs before I've done Myers-Briggs. Okay. This like, it tricked me cause it looked way too cool. Um, cause I was like, ah, oh, you know, I N W 
JPT, whatever. Um, I was being like a personality index snob, but this thing had killer graphics and it just sort of like pulled me into it. And I was like, Oh, look at this cool gra- mountain climbing graphics. And so I took the thing and uh, let's see if you can, if I share the screen here, can you see that? Yes. Yeah. So I took this thing and it basically told me what I was, but also gave me some percentages. And some of these guys are right down the middle. So that explains why I'm uh, a little bit of both, but it was really helpful. And then if you look, look down here, this thing actually has like explore your type, all this stuff. And it was, that's all for free. So anyways, I recommend it 16 personalities.com, um, as a, as a start. And, uh, so that was fascinating, but then you know, I shared that with you. And then you had said that you had recently done what strength finder. Mm-hmm. I did strength finder for the first time. Okay. So how did, how did it turn out? So and what did you think? Done that before, but like, I thought it was good. I, I like the idea of just looking at strength. Yes. Yeah. And for anyone, just anyone listening that work in general that hasn't done that yet, it's strength finder 2.0. It is, let's see, here it is. Got a website to share strength finder. And, uh, it's a Gallup strength, Gallup strength, strengthcenter.com. You can see right there. I'll put a link out on there, but okay. So you did strength finder. Did you read the book first or just hop right into the, the, uh, the test? I just kind of hopped right in. Cool. Um, so went, the reason went for it. Really was because in my department at my current company, uh, myself and another person were hired the same week. Okay. So our manager had everybody on the team do it so we could see not only what our individual strengths were, but where we overlapped and then where we, where we had gaps as we're filling out the team. Right. Awesome. We were a startup. So our marketing team somewhat small. Um, but it was actually funny because the three of us had two of the same strengths out of five interesting uh, yeah yeah and so for people listening strength finder um in the book if you go back and and read it um it, it's like tiny uh but th- there's like an intro chapter which basically tells the story of rudy from the football team and uh it's kind of controversial because everyone loves rudy but it's like really rudy you're like five foot five and you want to play football for notre dame that's not really your strength. Like what is your strength? And, and then there was another guy on the team, like the starting quarterback who didn't really want to, didn't really care, but he was just naturally good. And so if he put in it, the naturally good guy just put a little more extra time in there and he was amazingly better. Whereas Rudy had to put in years and years and years on his weaknesses and played like one game. Right. So it's like, Oh, interesting. It's kind of like counterintuitive. We, a lot of times, and sometimes I get negative and I want to focus on, my weaknesses, but what are your strengths to play up to that? So where some personality tests tell you how you compare with people, like I love the disc test for that, or even this Myers-Briggs tells you how you compare. Oh, we both have I, you know, that kind of stuff. Strength finder is not about comparison. So, you know, the fact that you found some people comparing, I think there's something like 30, 35 strengths. And typically what happens is most people don't overlap. Um, or maybe have one or two that overlap, but the whole point is, like, what, what does this other person have on the team that I don't? Like, how can I work with them? So, which ones did you overlap with? So, all three of us, myself, our director of marketing, and our marketing campaign manager, all had strategic, and we all had um, input. Input. Okay, I forget. What, what's input? Do you remember which one that was? Just what it sounds like. It's okay. really liking to give input on everything. <laughs> so you sit in a meeting with the three of us, and we all have 
a lot to say. (laughs) 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 Let me tell you what I think about that. You're a good team. You know, it makes for a great guest for a podcast too. (laughs) Get someone with, you know, no input and they're like, yeah, that's, I, I agree, Casey. That's, that was great. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> right, right. Okay. So you all had input. That's interesting, but it's cool to know that everyone on your team is that way. So if y'all are getting like an input thing and you understand that's what happened, that's what's happening. That's cool. Yeah, it was cool. And then we kind of had this, we had this discussion around it. So we made like a matrix of, mm. uh, you know, the three of us, all the strengths, what we each had, and then uh, ego, for those of you who haven't read it, the yeah. strengths fall into these buckets. So the buckets, here are the buckets again. Maybe that's the title of this podcast. I don't know. Buckets. Uh, buckets with buckets. Steph. Definitely <laughs> awesome. Um, <laughs> so one of them's like thinking. I can't remember what the other ones are. Okay. Uh, they're like tea, something else, something else. Execution is one of them. Um, so we were all bucketed in like two out of the four. Oh. Or two out of the four that we had none in. And we were like, okay, clearly if we build out this team, you know, we need to find somebody with the E and the whatever, because otherwise we're never going to get anything done. Never going to have it, right. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, it, in the compliment. We just hired a, sorry, we just hired yeah. another team member, and he took the test yesterday, and he has he has one of the strengths we need to fill out our team. Excellent. Okay. It's cool. That's really cool. Um, and, it, and, you know, it, to someone listening, you might think, oh, okay, this, you know, the strengths and it's really helpful to, because you could spend a year working in the next desk over to someone and still not know much about them. You might just make each other mad or you might really enjoy each other and you have no idea why. So the things like strength finder, disc, I love D I S C we disc every uh, Cheshire impact. Everyone does a disc test and we share it with each other just so we can say, Oh, okay. You've got killer eye, which means if I Skype you, you're going to talk for a long time, but, uh, but you have low C. So we're going to need to manage these details here. Right. So, but just knowing about each other, but the cool thing with the strength finder is that it tells you these cool little things that, um, and were you surprised by any strengths? Not really. Not really surprised. All of my strengths were kind of uh, mushed into like the thinking, learning, you know, all the more cerebral stuff, which uh, which I'm not surprised by. One of them, one of the ones I had was connectivity or connection. Yeah. I think that was the one I was the most surprised by. It was like in the relationship category and it was just all about kind of, it was kind of like metaphysical. Kind of like yeah. thinking that we are all connected and, you know, that we're all one. And uh, I thought that one was kind of cool. Interesting. That might be yeah. one of the reasons why you were so good at extracting, you know, answers from buyers who maybe don't have input as their strength and they're just sort of clamming up. So you have to sort of <laughs> joke around, buy them a drink, get them to start sharing why they made that click in the first place. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, um, anyone that does that, anyone that has their company do that, Kudos to that manager, that director that did that. That is such a baller move. When I was at um, EF, uh, someone way hired, this was like many moons ago when I was just a, a marketing manager, digital marketing manager, yeah, and doing PPC and, and, and analytics and stuff. And uh, someone for the whole company decided, like, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to buy this for everyone. And this, this is like hundreds of people. And we're going to buy this for everyone. And then we're also going to pay for groups of like eight to meet 
during the day and then go out to lunch to talk about their results, it, which was like an awesome move for a big company to say like, this is important. And it was so cool because some of the people that, that I was working with, the same kind of thing. We're in this like T-shaped desk area. So we're all looking at each other all day long. And, um, and one of the guys on my team, who's kind of weird, right? He was different than me. And uh, you couldn't quite put your finger on it. But when, I, when we're sharing our strengths with each other, one of his was Maximizer, which is badass. I don't have that, but it's badass. That's what one of my colleagues is. He has Maximizer. Okay, that's perfect. It, it, yeah. And the description on a Maximizer is these people love taking something great and making it amazing like taking the best and making it even better which is like you think is like a challenge but for them it was that's what they love but what they don't like is looking at your garbage that you just still your draft that you're still working on and trying to make that good that drives them bonkers so i was like cool and so it suggests instead of showing them like the stuff you're you're not happy with show them the things you are happy with and so for that guy on my team in the future, I was like, Hey man, he was great at PPC too. And AdWords. And so I'd say, Hey, here's my best AdWords campaign. How do you think we could make this better? And it, he like, it lit him up. He was like, excited. He wanted to dive in. He's like, ah, analyzing it with me. And I was like, this is awesome. Um, and so it was one of those examples of just strength finder, finding out what some of the people's strengths are. And it just like gets them all excited. What was your That's number one? Great example of that. That's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, my number one was, oh, think it was strategic because they're in order too the thing tells you like these are your top five it actually ranks them all and it hides them i think if you pay extra they'll tell you the rest but the point is just what are your top five so strategic huh i think i'm not sure think so um, okay yeah maybe this will like remind you to go check them out later but yeah that's cool Uh, like ah what was it um i recently took it again because i'm in this this goal setting master class and and they're having everyone take the strength finder and i took it back in the day, like eight years ago. And what was interesting um, to set that up was um, when I first took it, I liked going to networking events. It was in Bo- it was a job down downtown Boston. So there's always like a tweet up or some kind of tech meetup or marketing meetup afterward. Downtown Boston was so cool. I'd listen to One Republic and my earbuds and walk my business casual down the streets of Boston and be like, I'm the man. It was really cool. Um, now I'm in Nashua, New Hampshire and just, you know, wearing snowsuits and stuff. So it was fun, uh, but I liked going to these like meetups to meet people, kind of. And I'd always be sort of scared, and and maybe I need like a like a Red Bull and vodka, and I'd be like, okay, now I can talk to people. But I was always like, I, I kind of like these, but I don't like these. Why am I signing up for these things? And when I took the Strength Finder, the number one strength it said I had was woo, which was this thing where it was like, go forth and meet people and say hi. <laughs> that was it. Did did you have someone in your team that had that or? That's so funny. We talk about woo all the time. Really? Um, yeah, because we actually we're trying to hire for another position right now. If anybody who's listening has yes. woo and lives in the Durham area, give me a call. Yes. Um, where should they, should they go? Should they hit you on Twitter or or where, what should they do? <laughs> yeah, you can hit me up on Twitter at Steph Capera. Okay. In, uh, last name, or find me at stephanie.hawkins at archivesocial.com. Uh, we're trying to hire a, a very specific position where we want somebody with that woo. Yeah. So, yeah. Woo is awesome. It's a, but what was crazy. It's, awesome. it's like the coolest named one. Oh, it is. And it, what was interesting is it actually allowed me to be more of me after I took this test because I was like, ah, what? I wasn't quite there. You know, 
you know, you don't need to drink to meet people, but it was like one of those things. Sometimes you do, but, um, it was like, huh. But when I read that, I was like, wow, this is actually a strength of mine. Let me, and especially when it says like, you know, go forth and do your strength. This is my number one strength. It's like, I'm going to go meet a lot of people. And that just, it changed new things around for me in Boston. And to one point I, I went to like a Red Sox tweet up last minute. I didn't have a ticket or anything. I tweeted Red Sox and tweeted the Boston area. And they're like, here's a ticket. And I just showed up and I met the green monster and who's an actual monster. And, uh, yeah, it like just fun, crazy things were happening, but I was able to you know, now that I knew that was a strength, play up to it and it opened up a lot of opportunities. But I bring that up because when I retook it, I was really scared that I would lose like that because it almost like it made up part of like who I was, you know, my personality. And, um, and sure enough, I took it again and it went away. <laughs> um, and, uh, in, in the, the coach I was working with then, he said, well, sometimes they'll move around depending on what you're, what you're doing and what you're really focusing on. So it's, it's less of like, like, like I had where I built my whole like personality and, and, uh, and confidence to it. But it, basically they replaced it with competition. And I always made fun of people that had competition. I was like, ah, competition. It's, it's more than the competition. It's all about the journey or whatever. But then I've been working for the last three and a half, four years with, um, sales reps at different companies, a lot of partners of ours. Salesforce is a huge partner of ours and they have like the best sales reps ever. They're really good, especially the Pardot sales reps and really good, but also really good thinking about the people they are working with, which is why I, I enjoy them and work with them. But being around like all these A plus sales people who are just like, ah, I'm sales. I will sell things to anyone, anywhere, you know, and being, I think that's kind of affected me to the point where I'm like, yeah, oh, I too will do this. And so, yeah, I wonder if, um, you know, now I'm doing a podcast and chatting with people, you know, maybe it's not woo, maybe it's some other thing will swoop in, um, and sort of highlight itself. Maybe woo's hiding down there. At number six, it's like, it's waiting to come back. So who knows, but right. they change, but it's good to just to remind yourself the different ones. And, and a lot of mine were, or strategic as well. I share that with you. Um, I had, I think innovation was one communication was another one. Um, and just a lot of conversation, people talking, thinking about goofy things in the future. And it was just, it was really good to read the descriptions, but my favorite part on that book was always reading descriptions of other people. And I swear that, you know, and back to the earlier conversation, if you know someone's top five strengths, you know more about them than, you know, maybe their significant other because like you've now learned what makes them tick and where they should yeah. spend their time, you know? I love that too. Like I, I totally love that part. And you know, a really good story about that actually that my manager told me was that I think there was another personality test where it's more like introverted, extroverted, mm. blah, you know, a few other different types of categorizations, but at his previous company. And it's not the Neagram or that stuff. It was a different one. It wasn't the Enneagram. Okay. No, it was it was something I'd never heard of. Um, but they assigned like a different color dot to each of the, let's say like it was extroverted and then introverted and then a few other things. It's like a green dot for extroverted, right. red dot for introverted. And they literally just like put up your dot at your desk. So you could look around the office and go, oh, that's an extroverted person. I can go talk to them for like 20 minutes. That introverted person, I need to like make my message quick. Yeah, or maybe email them. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> Just a little little yeah. red light, green light, little flag on there. Yeah. yeah. You know, I had someone quote me about um, introvert, extrovert. Uh, not quote. Uh, it's a really cool phrase. It was that extroverts 
get energy from outside, right? So extra extrovert. So they get energy from other people and interacting with other people uh, and also talking. And then introverts get energy from within. And so one of the things then dot, dot, dot from that was that extroverts often need to talk to think about something and introverts often need to think to be able to talk about something. And, and that was really helpful for me, extrovert, but also sometimes I'll get in my head and I'll start thinking, but it's like, you should probably start talking, you know? Uh, (laughs) And if I start talking, I'll talk my way through it. And then that's, that'll like enable me to, to think even more on it and not try to revert back into being stuck in my head, thinking about something over and over again. It's not quite connecting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I really like that definition. Energy from without. So, Hey, what are you working on? What's, uh, you know, tell us about, uh, you know, company you're at and, you know, any shout outs or any, uh, want to send us to the address or what do you, what do they do? Yeah. So we're called archive social. We are a tech startup in Durham, North Carolina. Um, it's a great company. We, we make a software that is a social media archiving software. Um, it's used by over a thousand government agencies. Yeah, that's a good go. So we've got, uh, yep, we've got like New York City, Dallas, uh, the Obama administration, and then we got a bunch of school districts as well. And what it essentially helps you do is use social media um, without, you know, being at risk of non-compliance with public records laws yeah. and issues relating to lawsuits and things like that that can happen when you lose records on social media, they get deleted, right. things like that. That's cool. That's yeah. The compliance thing is big, and we bump into that with the financial side, the health side, government for sure. Um, that's interesting. Being able to just and that just archives your 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 social, right? Your Instagram messenger or your your tweets and your Facebook shares or any of that. It does. It's like a whole separate cool. archive where you can you can search back the entire history of all your social. You can search by keywords. You yeah. can filter by by type of post. Like the social media networks just don't have that capability, and they also don't have any obligation to keep your posts whatsoever. So, right, um, right. Yeah. Can you even get? Can you even go back? Like, can I find my original tweet from like many moons ago? Or do I have to hit like next like ninety times? That's what I yeah. wonder. Yeah, you may or may not be. Able to, <laughs> uh, you know, there's their search functionality is is pretty garbage. Right. So, huh? Yeah, I think the one one potential, and I'm just speaking here. This is not the. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. But you know, one potential use for this in the future may be like individual use. Like because, like you're saying, you know, it's really not easy to to search for something on your own. Right. Um. Yeah, there's all kind of uses for that. I could see it, you know, different pivots and customer bases and all that. It's hard to sell the government too. That's hard. They got a lot of red tape. They got to bounce, you know. And and there's real people, right? Even all government, but it's like a real person at like a department and just wants to like do their thing. And there's just a lot of red tape they got to go through. So you know, thinking thinking for them makes a lot of sense. Exactly. But uh, we have a really a really engaged um, audience, and awesome. most of the people who buy from us are the like public information officer or the government communicator, and okay. they they're really fun to work with and fun to write for. That's why yeah. I wanted to join this company um, was because I'm essentially you know the voice of the company, and they're right. who I'm writing for. And that's cool. Crowd, and they actually attend yeah. webinars too, which is cool. We do we had yeah we had like. 250 people, I think, on our webinar yesterday. Hell yeah. Yeah. 
That's awesome. And, and so they attend webinars. Do they, ask, do they ask questions at the end? They do. They ask lots of questions. Like that's amazing. We have time to answer. I know. Cause I've had, I've had webinars where you have that. And I've had webinars where you have like a pulse. So sometimes at the very beginning, I'll be like, okay, sound check, check, check. If you can hear my voice, raise your hand in your go-to meeting. Right. I see all these cute little hands go up on the interface and that's like, that's it for, for engagement. But, uh, but sometimes it's, you know, question fast and you're like, okay, I know you all got to go. We'll, we'll hit these questions afterwards. So that's cool. You got a great audience to write for. We do. We, we have some great guests too. So, oh, yeah. um, you know, we get to interview some really cool people. Like we had the chief of police from park forest, Illinois on, on okay. Tuesday. Um, we had another public information officer from the Jacksonville Sheriff's Police Department on last month. So really cool stories. Um, just about so, local community. So you would have police officers on and, and that helps out the, the public information folks? So oftentimes the chief of police, for example, in this case, is, is actually managing the police department social media. Uh, okay. Wow. Interesting. So he was he was literally on talking about, you know, social media best practices for police departments. Got it. Um, yeah. Killer. Killer. Well, hey, cool. do you look at the clock? Like time has flown. It so has, you have to do this it again. Does when you and I talk? I know, right? <laughs> There's so so many more personality tests to go over. But uh, but hey, thanks for coming. Um, super appreciate. We'll have, we'll have to check back in. Maybe do another update and see how things are going. But uh, thanks again. This is number one in the books. Yes. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for joining us, and we'll see you on number two.